coming up. We're going to talk about um, kind of like the more long-term effects if the torticollis isn't dealt with, if there's any connection with scoliosis of the spine, the cricket spine. And then we also want to talk about my baby had a release, but they're still reflexy as all heck. Top of their head to the tips of their toes and everything in between to make sure that we are setting them up with good alignment and symmetry for that foundation of movement, because we are setting the stage for how they're going to move pretty much for the rest of their life. Again, it's those asymmetrical forces on growing bodies, right? And so where the forces came from can be different from child to child. And, you know, oftentimes there's spinal anomalies, right, in the actual uh, vertebra, and, and that can cause scoliosis and issues in the spine. And then like you said, if we look at the big picture, is there fascial tension? Is there muscle tension that affected growth? Because it's forces on the body. The the fascia can, that tight fascia and tight muscles can create a different force on this side of the body versus this side of the body. So there's no way it's not connected, right? We have a special offer for our Munch Bunch listeners. To book a virtual consult with Megan, she's offering a discount of $25 off. Just email her, Megan, at nwmyofunctionaltherapy.com or through her website, www.orofacial-myology.com. To book a virtual consult with Kimmy for the $25 off, email her mouthmusclememory at outlook.com or through the website, www.mouthmusclememory.com. Now on to the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. This is Kimi Nishimoto and Megan Vannoy. And today we are back with our friend Britta DeStefano, or you might know her as Progress Through Play PT. <laughs> Yay! She's back. She's back. <laughs> so if you listened to the previous episode, um, Dr. Britta talked to us about torticollis, which is kind of the banana shaped baby body. Um, also talked about um, tension in the body and how she helps those little ones get more relaxed and aligned, um, which can help with other things, either pre post phrenectomy, or even if there is no tongue tie, some of these babies come out with tension or they develop tension um, later on. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back because today is part two, where we're going to talk about um, kind of like the more long-term effects if the torticollis isn't dealt with, if there's any connection with scoliosis of the spine, the cricket spine. And then we also want to talk about my baby had a release, but they're still reflexy as all heck. So those are kind of the points that we're going to hit today. But before we start, Megan, will you pull our affirmator card? I shall. All right, you guys. Oh yeah. We didn't do this last time with you, Britta. So one of the big things that we are, Mm -hmm. these are our affirmators. Um, I've had these for a couple of years and I can't believe it took me so long to send them to Kimmy. I don't know what happened there, but uh, so we've been pulling our daily cards and then we pull episode cards 
And just to kind of set the intention for the episode and kind of give people, you know, a way to good start to set their Monday. So, all right, Britta, I will let you pick this one. Tell me when to stop. Okay. Uh, stop. All right. Depth. All right. So, <laughs> depth is our card today, which actually seems also kind of fitting since we really are like taking things to the next level. So as new people show up in my life, I look for all the weird, wonderful, complex layers below their surface. I can't be surprised by someone's depth of character unless I'm willing to peel back the outer layers and go a little deeper. It's like the brand new saying goes, don't judge an onion by its haircut. (laughs) (laughs) We do need to dive below the surface for these babies. Especially Especially. like talking about fascia, how there's Mm -hmm. like all the different layers of fascia, which I just learned about. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I knew that there was like the one to the skin and around the muscles, but I didn't realize there are so many stinking layers to that fascia. Mm -hmm. Well, and around all the organs, which is why it can have such an effect on like what you just said, our baby's digestion and comfort and GI issues and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. It's the perfect card for today. So, um, okay. So kind of where we left off last time, um, we had started talking about, uh, you know, what happens if torticollis goes untreated? What's the connection to scoliosis? What's the connection with tongue ties? Um, So I don't know if you want to do like a little quick snippet of like, the torticollis piece and then kind of dive into what happens if we don't do anything about it. Yeah. So if we want to do a quick rewind about torticollis, traditionally congenital muscular torticollis is referring to a tight muscle in the neck, but we know that our muscles don't work in isolation. So typically if we have tightness in our neck, there is something else going on below that. It does not only affect the neck, it can affect range of motion of the rest of the body and movement more than just the way that their head and neck move. So when we're treating babies with torticollis, we make sure to, or we should be, if you have a knowledgeable provider, treating the entire body top of their head to the tips of their toes and everything in between to make sure that we are setting them up with good alignment and symmetry for that foundation of movement, because we are setting the stage for how they're going to move pretty much for the rest of their life. We all have, you know, habits that we've gotten throughout our lives. And so we don't want to set them up with quote unquote like bad habits from the get go. We want them to have the best opportunity to move in all ways that feels good. So this is what I say when I'm working with babies is I want them to feel good in their bodies and be able to move well. And if things like torticollis go untreated, we're setting them up for potential, you know, being prone to injury or having pain, you know, asymmetrical movements put asymmetrical forces on a growing body. So 
it can have these long-term effects on how their body functions. Yeah, perfect. love it. Hopefully perfect. that makes sense. That's kind of it an overview. The, it was the, the perfect recap. I love it. I love it. Then, yeah, so what does that mean for if we don't do anything or if the um, orthopediatrician, you know, is like, oh, it's fine. We'll just wait and see, which is my least favorite phrase um, known to man. Uh, wait and see or, or I guess number two phrase is, oh, it's fine. They'll grow out of it. <laughs> yeah. So my biggest point to make in that or hearing that is that if we notice something that may not be optimal about the way that our baby is functioning and we have an opportunity to help that thing, whatever it may be, become more optimal. If we have that chance and we have that opportunity, why not? Why wouldn't we give that opportunity to our children? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it flies under the radar and nobody notices. And so we don't have that opportunity maybe early on. And then right. it comes to light down the road and we work on it when it becomes, a, you know, a priority or when it gets noticed and no shame or judgment when that does happen. Cause oftentimes there are just other things that are our priority and we don't know what we don't know. Right. But if we notice it, I just, in what universe would you not want to give your baby that opportunity for optimal functioning? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, the wait and see or, oh, they'll grow out of it are two of my kind of biggest pet peeves because mm-hmm. I see <laughs> the amazing results when we get started early. Yeah. You know, in those first few months of life, our babies are so adaptable and are learning and growing so quickly that we have these opportunities to really set that foundation before, you know, they start achieving these milestones asymmetrically. And then we're needing to help them like relearn movement patterns that they've already kind of ingrained in their brains and bodies. And that's harder. It's harder to relearn something in a different way than to just be able to do it optimally the first time we learn it. It's Mm -hmm. not impossible. We do it all the time as physical therapists. We are reteaching movement, but it's, quicker results, the earlier we start. And that, that foundation for symmetrical movement is just, it's so important for just everything that they'll learn down the road. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of parents, um, it's hard because of budget stuff, right? Like, um, for physical therapy for baby, is insurance generally accepted or is it something that they have to pay for out of pocket? Like, how does that work? There's a lot of different options. And, you know, unfortunately, in some areas, there may not be as many resources as others. What is always available is the state early intervention programs that may be run by county or, you know, it's it's different in each area. But those that's a federally mandated program that every state has to offer. And it's either free or sliding scale or they will um, bill insurance. But it is the most, um, you know, kind of cost effective way if your child can qualify for their services 
to get physical therapy. There's clinics that bill insurance, there's out-of-pocket cash pay therapists like myself. So there, there's multiple options there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if families aren't, aren't sure where to start going to their state's early intervention website, you can self-refer. You don't need your doctor to send you over or a referral or a script or anything to refer yourself to that state early intervention program. So you just um, I think it's also on the CDC website, but if you just Google early intervention and your state, their website will come up and they um, are a great place to start. Thank you so much. That's really helpful. So helpful. Um, and if they don't go through the state, do they have to normally like go through the pediatrician or the IBCLC to see a physical therapist? Most states have direct access for physical therapy or some degree of it. Again, that kind of varies state to state, but like in Colorado, we have complete direct access. So they do not have to go through any other provider in order to come see a physical therapist. So they can start with me right away with no red tape or anything that they need to go through in order to start services. Which is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay. So let's talk about, say a parent is in that position where baby is very tense, they're kind of uncomfortable in their bodies, they're doing that banana shape, the C-shaped body, head turning preference, but one, they maybe didn't know that that was a thing, or two, they couldn't afford it, and they were like, it's fine, like we can get through it. What are some of the long-term effects of that torticollis going untreated as they start to grow in the next couple months and by the first year? Well, you'll notice that their motor skills will usually be very one-sided or asymmetrical. Mm. Everybody can probably picture the crawling pattern where babies like to just have like one leg up kind of funny and it looks like that one-sided crawl they start pulling to stand only with one leg, only using one leg to go up and down the stairs and just having this significant preference for using one side of their body more than the other that causes a big imbalance in strength and then puts more forces through that one side. And it's almost like an overuse type situation if you think about them continuously always using one side more than the other from such an early age. I mean, athletes who use one side more than the other get overuse injuries, but this is a baby using one side of their body for everything they do just from, you know, kind of day one. So not to, to scare people and say that, you know, if the torticollis didn't get treated right away, then that means they're automatically going to have X, Y, and Z issues. But we can see things kind of develop down the road as an impact of an untreated torticollis. So that may be, you know, asymmetrical forces on the jaw, which you guys probably see (laughs) a lot of in terms of the repercussions of that. But what I see a lot of too is the pelvis and Mm. asymmetrical forces through the pelvis. Because like I mentioned before is it's not just that one tight muscle in the neck. It usually goes all the way down through the trunk and into the pelvis in terms of tightness and the, the pelvis kind of getting stuck in one motion and not being able to move 
fully. And that's where I see a lot of the problems arising from is through that tightness down into the pelvis. Of course, obviously the neck and jaw and everything as well. But I always like to look big picture and make sure that we're not just looking at one piece of the puzzle, but that whole big puzzle and all the pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of connecting the dots, but that's one big Mm -hmm. piece that I always want to make sure that um, we address and that that doesn't kind of fly under the radar because the pelvis is such a um, important thing (laughs) in our bodies for movement, for its attachment to all the muscles in the pelvic floor also. And we talk about the pelvic floor connection with um, oral function. And mm-hmm. I mean, we could just go oh, into yeah. so many rabbit holes <laughs> here. But again, it all kind of comes back to looking big picture, connecting the puzzle pieces, and just making sure that we do as much as we can to set that kind of symmetrical foundation. We want to introduce this spot for TOTS course, a parent's guide for toddlers ages 2 to 5 for Mini Mayo. We have Megan and Kimmy going over nasal hygiene, myofunctional exercises, breathing exercises, tongue tie healing protocols, and then we have Jenny June going over sleep hygiene and Kelsey Baker going over feeding therapy and body work. Uh, the course is two ninety seven, and the link will be in the description. Yeah, we um, recorded a podcast with the Gillespie approach with the mm-hmm. cranial fascial, fascial. therapy, mm-hmm. and they were teaching us that there's such a strong connection between the back of the head, the occiput, and the sacrum, which is like attached to your pelvis, which makes sense. It, you know, you hear about yeah. cranial sacral, but literally that's your spine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like, no doy, but sometimes we just kind of like forget about it. We're like, I don't know, I'm just tense here. I'm just tense here. But of course that would affect everything else because of the muscles, but also through the fascial system and that affects the spine. Absolutely. And forces translate. Like if there's a certain force going through one part of your body, it translates through the rest of your body. The same, like, if you're walking and the force from the ground, it doesn't just hit your feet. It translates all the way up your body. So people who have asymmetries in their gait, it will affect things all the way, what we call up the chain in physical therapy of it is a chain. Everything is connected. And so Mm -hmm. if we have asymmetrical forces, you know, at the top in jaw, neck, that's going to translate down and vice versa. It's going to translate up the chain as well. So (laughs) it can be kind of overwhelming sometimes though, to think about all the puzzle pieces. And that's why kind of finding the right providers who can support parents and understanding a lot of times I'm not the only one that needs to be a part of this you know, treating the whole chain and the whole body approach. And, you know, sometimes I get a baby in for an evaluation and I say, wow, there's a lot of things to address here. I can't be the only one (laughs) addressing all of this. Here's who we need to pull in to help make sure that I'm not missing any of the pieces. And sometimes it's things that maybe I do have expertise in, but I find a priority 
elsewhere and say, you know what, we're going to have OT focus on this piece so that I can really focus in on this piece, or we're going to, you know, pull in the, the osteopath or the craniosacral or <laughs> there's, yeah. there's so many. And for each family and each kid, that's a big piece of it is finding the right team. Gotcha. And it looks different for every family. Yeah. And finding the right team, I think, is honestly the biggest barriers for families. Knowing like knowing who they should go to, knowing who they can trust, knowing who actually, you know, is aligned with them and can really help them. Because I mean, how many how many stories have we all heard about? Well, we've gone to three other lactation specialists or we've gone to, you know, the pediatrician and this person. And, you know, you guys know my story in the hospital. They, they definitely, they blew me off about Isabel being tongue tied. And, you know, her uh, pediatrician was like, yeah, I don't really think it's impacting her is like she gags and has blisters all over her lips. Right. Um, And, you know, I always say I'm really lucky because I knew this stuff and I, you know, didn't really care what, (laughs) what anybody else told me because I already knew right but you know how many times are do we end up in those spaces where it's like you don't always know who to trust why wouldn't you trust the pediatrician and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with pediatricians it's just not their special space right um you know and so I think it's so hard to find the right team and the right people and I don't even know that like every city has the right team and people Yeah. I mean, we were just talking about it. I'm having the hardest time right now with my own child because I'm such in the infant space. Mm -hmm. My kid is eight and a half and Mm -hmm. my expertise do not um, translate to oral function and being able to treat my eight-year-old myself. And I feel for parents because I I was in that spot eight Mm -hmm. years ago and unfortunately didn't find the right providers at the time, their resources just weren't as readily available as they are now. And that's kind of why we're in this spot currently while Mm -hmm. I'm still searching for the right people for him. But I think the more we disseminate this information through podcasts and our social media and all of it, I mean, my uh, Instagram reel that has the most views of any of my content that I've ever made is just about the signs that I missed in my own kid mm-hmm. and what I wish I had known, but just his lip blisters, his milk tongue, his tension, his, you know, feeding difficulties and all the things that nobody connected the dots for me, but so yeah. it resonated with so many people yeah. and I got so many comments on it and it got shared so many times because people are literally just looking for someone to validate their experience mm-hmm. and be like, yeah. Yes, I hear you. I understand this is not normal. Mm-hmm. It's common. People normalize it, but mm-hmm. yep. our babies are trying to tell us something mm-hmm. they can't communicate, but there are signs if you find the people who know what to look for mm-hmm. and yeah. can really listen and validate and support. Mm-hmm. the families. And so mm-hmm. I could just tell from the response to that reel, how many people are craving that validation and someone to say like, yes, mm-hmm. there is 
support and resources Mm -hmm. to help with this. So, and also it's a thing and it's not supposed to be as hard as it is right now. It's not just in your head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had a 34 year old patient yesterday who's like been really struggling with her ears over the years and like has been always been made to be a little bit like crazy and, you know, kind of hysteric and, um, you know, kind of just like blown off. And so she's kind of taken this journey upon herself. And basically, she was like, well, I just kind of was thinking I would, you know, I know that I can't quite find the right people. But I've been doing my own research. And so I've been wanting to I've just been kind of thinking these providers, I'm just kind of using as tools to get to me where I need to be. And she was like, I'm so happy I found you. Because now I'm like, nothing's ever crazy here. (laughs) You know, like, I've heard it all. I've seen it all. You'd be surprised. And as I was making those connection pieces for her, um, you know, she, she cried because she was like, I can't believe, you know, that like, this is it. And I'm not crazy. And that like, Mm -hmm. you're completely validating me where I'm at. And I'm like, you just haven't found your people. And you know, was Was it TMJ? Yeah. TMJ, uh-huh. migraines, ear pain. Um, Tongue thrust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She had, um, she had a, with the beads, what was that? Like a tongue tamer with the beads mm-hmm. when she was like younger. Right. And just in all of it, you know? And mm-hmm. so, and that happened to me a few months ago too, with another gal who was like, I need to kind of process the emotional pieces of this because nobody's ever been able to explain these things to me before. There's quite a bit of um, medical gaslighting that happens too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, especially that, for females. Especially yeah, and that emotional females. that emotional release happens often yeah. in mm-hmm. my practice too. Where oh yeah, the parents are just like, "Thank goodness someone is connecting these dots for me finally that mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. crazy." that it doesn't have to be like this way forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that's really a powerful part of what we get to do. And it's mm-hmm. really cool. I mean, I don't like making people cry, but I think it's, <laughs> it's their, their tears of relief and joy and understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Like their, their, yeah. their tears of like, Oh, finally, like mm-hmm. I found my, my people. Cause yeah. Like even when I was attempting to breastfeed Isabel, um, you know, she, the worst chompy latch. Oh my gosh. She made me cry. And, uh, my mom was, you know, God bless my mother. My mother's a saint and I will never say differently, but she was like, well, it's kind of supposed to hurt a little bit at first. And then you just get used to it. And I'm like, no mom, no, it's not, it's not supposed to hurt. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's not supposed to, I know I haven't done this before. Like you have four times, but I know it's not supposed to hurt, you know, well, and she's like, Also, your mom had all tongue-tied kids, too, so that (laughs) is her experience. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, she's like, you just kind of, like, toughen up after a bit, and I'm like, you're tougher than I am, mom. You had four babies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) but that's the thing, too, you know, you're talking about, like, the 30-year-olds coming to you and finally getting that validation Mm -hmm. is, like, it's never too late, so when we're talking about, like, yes, the long-term effects of these asymmetries in the body, it's never too late to address them. And the techniques that I use work all for literally any age, infants to adults, I can use them on myself. I have my own kind of special tension patterns 
Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm tongue tied as well. So like I have some asymmetries that I can work through using the same techniques I use for babies. And so I often have parents when they're trying to understand what we're working on and how we're addressing it, do it on their own bodies so that they can feel what that feels like. And all of us can probably find something asymmetrical in our bodies when it comes to, maybe I can lift this arm up better than I can lift this arm, or I can twist a little bit more this way than I can twist Mm -hmm. that way. Right. And it, you can notice it say in your workouts or in your movement or my neck always, you know, hurts on this side versus that side. And we don't want our babies when they're brand new to have to be feeling that way, right? Where they feel like they're restricted, where some movement just doesn't feel good to them. And Mm -hmm. babies will always choose the path of least resistance when it comes to movement. Mm -hmm. As adults, we can kind of push through stuff that doesn't feel great if we know like, oh, I really need to strengthen my weaker side. I'm going to like make sure and do more on that side in my workout because we have that frontal lobe developed that tells us, you know, to kind of override those base instincts of like, something doesn't feel good. I'm not going to do it. And honestly, we should probably listen a little bit more to some of those and make sure we can make the movement feel good first and then work on, you know, strengthening our, our weaker sides. And that's my approach with babies is I don't want to force them to strengthen or move in a direction that doesn't feel good. Instead, I want to work on making the motion feel good first and then ask them to move that way so we can strengthen them symmetrically. And Mm -hmm. I think that's different than maybe the traditional approach to treating Mm -hmm. torticollis and what I was taught out of school initially. Mm-hmm. And my approach has absolutely changed over the 11-ish years. I don't remember how long yeah. <laughs> I've been treating now, but um, it's completely different than how I was initially treating torticollis. And I think it's really evident in how quickly families can see results because yeah. you're working with the child's body and not against it. And it feels better for the parents. And then they do more of it at home because it feels good. And so the carryover is better and the results are quicker. Mm-hmm. Very good point. So when we're talking about the tensions and stuff, like what is mm-hmm. the connection between torticollis and scoliosis where oh. the spine is twisted or you get that like um, the spinal cord can or the spinal column can get a little bit like crooked or twisty mm-hmm. or turned uh well yeah like my best friend has a tongue tie and she has scoliosis and one of her shoulders is a little higher than the other one shoulder blade sticks out a little bit more than the other and we've actually talked about this a lot and I know she's going to listen to this episode because she's our number one fan hi Hannah um and uh we've talked about this a lot and she, this is a big question that we've kind of been throwing around for a while um, because she's that hallmark tongue tied. She has scoliosis. She gets migraines. Like 
Uh, and so I've always been really curious. Yeah. And I don't think there's enough research out there on all of how, how all of it's connected because we mm-hmm. notice as providers, these associated conditions, right? I'm screening all of my torticollis kids for tongue tie, which I was mm-hmm. not doing at the beginning of my career. But again, it's those asymmetrical forces on growing bodies, right? And so where the forces came from can be different from child to child. And, you know, oftentimes there's spinal anomalies, right, in the actual uh vertebra and and that can cause scoliosis and issues in the spine and then like you said if we look at the big picture is there fascial tension is there muscle tension that affected growth because it's forces on the body the the fascia can that tight fascia and tight muscles can create a different force on this side of the body versus this side of the body. So there's no way it's not connected. Right. Yeah. But it's hard to rewind all the way back. If you're looking at an adult per se. Right. And, and know a hundred percent that X, Y, and Z, this is like what happened, but it makes sense in my mind. Right. When we start to see how this part of the body is connected to this part of the body. Mm -hmm. It, it is all a big, you know, puzzle and all those pieces are connected. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, it's so cool. And I, you know, I don't even know how you would start to even research those pieces, but you know, I, it's one of the weirdest things for me now that I'm, you know, a decade into looking at like this body space, like how we still have people out there and practitioners out there who don't talk about how the whole body is connected. Mm-hmm. And I get that we study those systems differently in medical school. Um, and I get that that's kind of how our medical system is set up, but it still surprises me. Like, you know, especially kind of in this like day and age that we are starting to, I think we're starting to move, or at least my world is starting so much more holistic. Um, that is like, you say these things, and you're like, yeah, duh, the whole body's connected. But like, how many years have we like, had to relearn that? Yeah, <laughs> I know, I think it went into this, you know, super specialized, everyone's like, really in a niche, you know, mm-hmm. treatment area. And now we're coming back to, and I still think that's really important to like have your expertise. And I have really narrowed down my patient population and my specialties, but having an understanding of the big picture. So even if Mm -hmm. I'm, well, I am treating the whole body, but even if I, there's a piece of the puzzle that is not within my scope or expertise, understanding how it impacts what I am treating and being able to refer out. I think that's the biggest thing is providers being able to say, I don't know, I think this sounds off, but that's not something that I can really treat. Who can we find who can help us make sure we don't miss that puzzle piece? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. a provider can be very well-meaning and treating within their scope, but they're missing a piece (laughs) 
that may have a big impact. And so, you know, yes, we want providers to only treat within their scope, but we want them to have a greater understanding of how to make sure not to miss any of those pieces Mm -hmm. and be able to pull in, like we talked about that team Mm -hmm. approach and not functioning in isolation, like no piece of the body functions in isolation Mm -hmm. as providers, we shouldn't function in isolation either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very true. Um, I'm currently like temping in an office in a short term and I'm trying to control myself when it comes to like the tongue tie stuff, not step on anyone's toes. But anytime that they're recommending night guards or someone has a night guard or something, I'm subtly talking about like, did you know your grinding has a lot to do with your breathing? So make sure you keep your nose nice and clear. And then step two would be keeping your tongue on the roof of your mouth. Because I think so often we're just kind of like zoned in on our one specific thing is like, oh, I want to protect these teeth. Like I have good Mm -hmm. intentions. I want to give them a night guard, but there's more to it. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a good point of like understanding more so you can be more comprehensive. Yeah. And also just bringing awareness. I can't tell you how many times I'm treating a baby and start asking the parents, how do you sleep? Who's the snorer in the family? And then we we just, it snowballs and I've got dad going, "Uh, can you look at my tongue? And just that light bulb moment when the parents start being like, oh, is that why X, Y, and Z, you know, struggle I've had my Mm -hmm. whole life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm obviously not going to be doing anything treatment wise when it comes to the parents, but like just helping to bring awareness Mm -hmm. and just get them started thinking. And then Mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, who should I go see? I've got, okay, here's my, my list of adult Mm -hmm. providers. And that can be so powerful too, to just plant the seed. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes they're, they're not ready for it in the moment, but it gets them started thinking and, you know, who knows what that seed will turn into down the road. But Mm -hmm. like we said, it's never too late to address issues with oral function or your body asymmetries or Mm -mm. tension or anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny because that's, that's also why a lot of times, like we, my practice, I know Kimmy does too, kind of have family pricing because I'm evaluating this 12 year old who got referred to me. And all of a sudden, actually, this sounds like her sister. Wait a second. This sounds like her dad. Wait a second. This sounds like me too. All of a sudden you have this family of four and they all need help. And I'm like, don't worry, we're not going to charge you per person because mm-hmm. like, you don't have to pick your favorite amongst the four mm-hmm. of you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. talk to her all the time. I'm like, you don't have to pick your favorite kid. We'll see them all. And we won't like, you know, make you, you know, yeah. not be able to pay your mortgage. Right. So, yeah. Um, and that's why, because it's, you know, and like Kimmy said, I have three sisters and we all had tongue tie issues. And, um, you know, if, if my parents knew about this in the early days and they needed to treat all four of us, like, it definitely would have been, you know, pick who's the worst and then start from there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I still have families that do that too. Like I have a family of five right now that I'm seeing mom has like second worst tie, but she has no tension. I wonder if she's hyper flexible. She just doesn't really feel it, but we've worked on a lot of things. Her tone is stronger. We've corrected her tongue thrust. So her open bite is starting to close. So she's like, 
I don't need a release. I'm okay. And I can't force anyone. So I'm like, okay, well, if you change your mind, I got you. The oldest son, most severe, grade four, very little range of motion. He's done a lot, but we need to do him his release. The daughter, she has some restriction, but she's worked so much that like we've got rid of her headaches and she's like not having nightmares anymore. She's doing amazing. She decided that she doesn't want to go through a release that one of the other brothers, I think he probably should because he grinds teeth and he still has some of that low tone, low muscle, um, low posture. So I think long-term he would probably be good, but they decided budget wise, they can only afford to do one. So they have chosen to do the oldest with the most severity, you know, and you just meet people where they're at. You can't make Mm -hmm. anyone do a surgery they don't want to do. Absolutely. I think it's so funny because talking about the family connections, we were with my 89 year old grandmother yesterday and she kept looking in my six-year-old's mouth and that's her great grandchild and was like, what is in there? And she has top and bottom expanders right now. And I was like, oh, those are expanders. And she's like, what are they doing to her mouth? And, you know, I explained it and, you know, she was having airway issues. She was having nightmares and mouth breathing at night and teeth grinding and all this stuff. Her ties, um, we probably won't release. She's pretty good. Um, we'll do Mayo obviously after her expansion, but anyways, um, and explaining it to my 89 year old grandmother. And she was like, Oh yeah. Cause I had, and you look in her mouth, she has the most narrow palate. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, I, so I'm like, okay, here's where we can trace all of this. Mm-hmm. Back. And it's, I mean, you know, cause I'm tied also, and my dad has had airway issues. And so I, it was all in one room and you could just see it um, kind of oh, trickle yeah. all the way down. And she was like, that's really cool that you can do it, you know, this early. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, Versus wait and see with the ortho and they're like 12 to 14 years old before you start doing anything. And usually they don't expand at that age. Mm -hmm. Um, So Britta, talk to us a little bit. One of the other frustrations is like, okay, my baby is refluxy. They have like the open mouth posture. They have their release. They maybe did body work, maybe not. But the, the reflux and the spitting up is not improving what can they do um, for those babies at that age? Yeah. So the digestive issues can be such a big trigger for families because if it's a baby who's really uncomfortable from their reflux, that can affect literally every aspect of your life. I was, I had that baby. <laughs> it was my mm-hmm. child. So I empathize with those families so much because it affects their sleep. They can't put them down. They're not getting their floor time. So now they're not getting Mm -hmm. movement. They're not doing tummy time because they spit up the whole time in tummy time. And it really can just kind of have this snowball effect on how the whole family functions, right? Everybody's like, nobody else knows how to hold my baby because they're just so uncomfortable. You know, like people who aren't Mm -hmm. baby people or parents, you hand them kind of a refluxy, colicky, kind of uncomfortable baby. And they don't know what to do because it's kind of difficult. They don't just kind of melt into your arms. And, you know, I've had parents come in and say, I can't even 
you know, leave them with a babysitter or have a family member hold them for me while I go take a shower or cook dinner or anything. Because that baby's really trying to communicate that their body doesn't feel good. And what I always start with, this is my first kind of piece of all the evaluations I do with babies is I take them through all the different motions that their bodies can do and find what does feel good. So I let them, their bodies kind of talk to me Mm. and show me what positions do feel good. And we start there. So I tell parents of babies who are struggling with that, that they are communicating discomfort, something still not functioning well. And our job is to first find how we can help them be comfortable in this moment right now, mm-hmm. right? With a goal of improving all this other stuff, their oral function is not going to magically improve overnight, even after a release. So potentially they're still having issues with, you know, tongue strength and suck and all of those things, which are going to take time to improve. What can we do in this moment right now to find some ways to help this baby be more comfortable? And that's where we start. And there's mm-hmm. always positions that we can find that do feel good in their bodies. And just that permission of finding that spot the magic little like snuggle that they can do with their babies. And sometimes it looks like their baby is like a contortionist, <laughs> like the position <laughs> that we find that's their spot, their magic, comfortable oh, yeah. position based on their, their tension patterns and what's going on in their body. When the parents find that and they're like, Oh my gosh, like that, my, my baby finally like relaxed or calmed down or stopped fussing or Sometimes we even have them hold the baby in that position to nurse. Like we find a specific Mm -hmm. position for them to feed in this like sense of relief of, oh my gosh, like I don't have to force them into a position that feels bad to them. And I can listen to their body Mm -hmm. and what they need right now. And that's Mm -hmm. where we, that's where we start and allowing those babies to find those motions that feel good is so powerful for them. Mm-hmm. that it helps improve their movement in other ways too. Mm-hmm. So that's what we find is that instead of forcing babies to go into positions that don't feel good for them, we find the feel good positions. We let them stay in those positions as long as it feels good. And that's what actually helps release the tension mm. in the other directions. Because they can go out of fight or flight being tense and tight into parasympathetic and then they can chillax. Absolutely. So that's one piece of it. The other piece is that pulling constantly on tight muscles and fascia can stress those tissues more than it actually helps stretch them out. And so if we go into those positions of ease, we're actually putting all of those tissues on slack instead of pulling on them and creating more tension. So it actually can help release tight areas as mm-hmm. opposed to kind of traditional stretching, which mm-hmm. over yeah. time will finally work. It takes longer because it's stress. Right. So instead, when we find those positions of ease for the baby, what we're doing is we're putting any areas that are tight on slack. They're getting more blood flow. They're getting more lymph drainage. The 
the fibers are actually able to go on slack and relax. Mm. That's what can help release those areas of restriction. My nephews were born, they were in, let's say August. So right now they're like four months old, but when they were like a month and a half, I went and saw them. And, uh, you know, the, I had another nephew born a month later, they all were tongue tied. They saw the exact same providers, the exact same lactation consultants. They did cranial sacral. They saw the exact same chiropractor, but the, my sister that didn't have the twins, he is a dream baby. He sleeps through the night. Like he doesn't really get much reflux. He's not super gassy. He's very chill. The twins, I think because of how cramped they were in the womb, mm-hmm. um, they both have a lot of tension and even with their tummy time and stuff, they're getting a couple little flat spots and they don't sleep well because they're colicky. And mm-hmm. it's really frustrating for my sister because she's her husband's on deployment and she's got three under two years old. Like it's a lot. Mm. And uh, when I think of colicky babies, I think of this old coworker I had, he would complain about her first child who's now an adult, but she's like, I like him now. But when he was a baby, I hated that kid. He's a little a-hole. <laughs> I was the colicky baby in my family of four. Uh, I was the colicky baby in the bedwetter. Um, and yeah, my dad to this day, like, you know, it still tells me that, oh, yeah, I used to carry, like, my parents would do the football holds for me. Like, that's, mm-hmm. my dad would have to hold me and bounce me around. And, you know, like, that was, like, of all the things they remember from my childhood, which you guys will laugh about this because of what I do. Uh, I was the, you know, colicky baby who had to be held a certain way. And I refused to give my pacifier to Santa. Um, <laughs> I tried. Apparently I tried and because I was going to trade my pacifier for Santa presents and then decided it was not worth it to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> bad trade. It was a mm. bad trade. Um, and as you guys have probably heard throughout, that's like the number one thing I'm working on with my own child right now is tri- my little triple fister pacifier. This is Izzy. <laughs> At all times. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. And we're working on it and I'm trying to transition her to a BB munchie and, you know, um, but my mom will look at me, look at her sometimes and she's like, she has your mouth. Like when you were little, I'm like, mom, that's because of the pacifier. <laughs> She's like, I know, but you're welcome. (laughs) Britta, um, so suck training, does that also help with the colic and the reflux to like help strengthen their muscles? Like what else can people do for that? Yeah. I mean, again, we have to look big picture at, you know, do we need some core strengthening to help, you know, kind of just develop all the, the muscles in the body. Do we need to improve oral function? Do we need to get more vagus nerve stimulation from the tongue, get into that rest and digest Mm -hmm. so that we can help keep food moving through our digestive system, right? If they're not getting that stimulation from the tongue, if we're in constant fight or flight, also we're in constant fight or flight, it's affecting their respiratory patterns, the movement of their diaphragm, which that affects the pressures within the abdomen, the pelvic floor and the diaphragm are what create the, the pressures, the correct optimal pressures in the abdomen to be able to have 
good function of all of our abdominal organs. Mm. Oh my gosh. It's like, we could go down so many rabbit holes here, but again, you know, we love rabbit holes. (laughs) Yeah. What is that baby trying to communicate through their, you know, colickiness, their fussiness, their reflux. And again, each baby probably has different puzzle pieces that we need to connect, but we need to be able to give parents support and resources through that because Mm -hmm. it can be a very dark time if you're dealing Mm -hmm. with a baby who has colic, eating Mm -hmm. issues, sleep issues, because these babies, Mm -hmm. they have the the trifecta, right? If if they're struggling in one, most likely they're also struggling with one of the others too, and severely affects parents' mental health, the -hmm. function of the whole family. And, you know, they they absolutely deserve support from all angles of that. And so sometimes that means also mental health professional for parents, mm-hmm. you know, someone who can help with the sleep piece, you know, again, pulling in all those different providers, but yeah, it can be a real struggle mm-hmm. to go through with reflux or colic. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we start like throwing in, you know, people talking about sleep training or, you know, sleep coaching, whatever, you know, whatever the, the non-offensive hot word for that is right now. Um, but these babies cannot be sleep <laughs> no, trained. No, oh because gosh. that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going is, you know, and because parents are so exhausted, they're like, oh, let's just get to the five month mark so we can just sleep train them. Right. And like, I, I completely understand that mindset and, um, 1000% thank God for Jenny June who helped us so much with Isabel as you guys know um but you know it's like no that you can't you have to work on their feeding issues and their tension issues and their ties and everything else otherwise we're not meeting their baby's needs no matter which sleep training co-sleeping whatever method you prefer we like you have to take care of those pieces first otherwise nobody's gonna be happy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah. And so uh, I love that you brought up kind of bringing all those pieces in and even just like the support for parents. Right. Cause we do, we get kind of lost in the baby and everything we're doing for the baby that like parents get lost. And even knowing everything I knew, you know, I struggled with postpartum a lot and, um, and, you know, I've worked with uh, mental health professionals, Kimmy and I both have in our own spaces and we're not, we have no stigma around that. Um, so I think I think that was such a good point to bring up about like, you know, we're not always just treating the baby. Like it's everybody involved. And I think that's so, so important. So, oh, Britta, do you want to just join as our third podcast host? Because we just love having you. I know. Thank you, guys. <laughs> you can just be our spotlight, you know, celebrity <laughs> and guest. <laughs> Um, so remind our listeners if they haven't had a chance to listen to the first episode yet, cause they're going to go back when they are, but, um, how can people find you? Where can they follow you? Um, give us, give us your, your socials. Sure. So my main place you can find me is on Instagram. I'm at progress through play and I treat locally in Denver. So you can find all my services on my website, which is ptpdenver.com. And then I do virtual consults. So Beautiful. Beautiful. And as you guys know, 
You can catch Kimmy and I on Instagram at the Munch Bunch Podcast and on YouTube. And you can catch us individually, Kimmy at Mouth Muscle Memory and myself at NWMFT. Feel free to DM us your questions, you guys. Um, you know, let us know if you have questions for Britta and you want to ask us as well. Feel free. Um, ask your questions. Don't be shy. We, as you can tell, we are here to help all of you. So mm-hmm. thank you again, Britta. So great to Thank see you. you. And we will chat with you soon. Alrighty. Thanks, guys.